Hey Hawks fans, Luke Bruce here. CJ here. Jarman here. If you love the Hawks, then you need to be connected to the Hawks Insiders. It's got all the latest news, match recaps, interviews and specialised content written by the Hawks fans for the Hawks fans. Make sure you subscribe. Get your daily dose of Hawthorne content into your inbox. Go Hawks. Go Hawks. Go Hawks. Here from Jarman MP for the Insiders. Hi everybody, welcome to another Wednesday night Hawks Insiders Safe Space. Thank you so much everyone for joining us on what is effectively Christmas Eve, uh, the week before the AFL National Draft. Uh, The Hawks having a really uh, good top-end pick and some access to a couple of father-sons. Tonight will be a fairly draft-heavy Insiders uh, with uh, Ben Waterworth from Fox Footy jumping on at 8.45 to chat to us about all things Hawks and the draft. Um, before we get to everything else, I uh, want to introduce my co-host for this evening, Mr. Andrew Weiss. Good evening, mate. Good evening, everyone. Glad to have uh, some of our faithful in on another Wednesday night to chat uh, all things draft and obviously have a look at some of the excitement as pre-season officially got underway. Absolutely. And we will throw to Mick very shortly, probably to kick off the show. Before we do that, AJ, uh, welcome to you, mate. And thank you for jumping off the bench late to help us out this evening. Back by unpopular demand, which I'm a big fan of. Thank you, boys. And um, we'll probably touch on this later in the show, no doubt. But it's always great to be in a week where Hawthorne makes history, and we did this week, and a big congratulations to Emily Bates being our first AFLW All-Australian this week. Have to touch on that at the top of the program. Yeah, absolutely. And we will uh, speak a, a bit after Ben uh, is on and done uh, about our AFLW team. There's been a lot of list movements. There has been some accolades. Uh, I think Jazz Fleming is up for um, uh, 22 under 22. Um, like you said, Emily Bates in the Australian squad. Um, we've had some prior AFLW priority signings, I think they're called. Laura Stone, Jess Vukic and Hayley McLaughlin. So the soaring boys are there and Adam's there as well. So we will get to you guys a little bit later to get your expertise and um, your input on that. I want to welcome our fearless leader, Ashley Brown. Ash, how are you? Hello. Sorry for the late start. Um, good to be with you as always. I hope everyone is well. You know, nothing really kicks off until you're here. So we uh, we thank you for joining us. Um, we'll get into it early. Mick, welcome to the uh, space this evening. We kicked off pre-season in um, some sort of fashion on Monday at uh, Bunjil Bagora. And I believe you were there, Mick. Yeah, I dropped by about, I got there about 10 o'clock-ish. And they were well into the, um, we thought it was a beep test, but it was later called the yo-yo test. Um, but they were, uh, I think I counted 28 players on the ground um, and about 22 of them were doing it. The senior bloke Sicily didn't do it. Warple didn't do it. Um, CJ was on the far side of the ground doing some individual stuff and then he just ran laps. He did a little bit of ball kicking but didn't really participate in the activities. But the um, beep test or yo-yo test was quite interesting to watch. <laughs> Because they just flogged themselves. The, uh, the um, word, Mick, is that Josh Weddle's actually still uh, doing the beep test. Is that fair to say? 
it is fair to say. It's the funniest thing was he finished. I had him going about at least six more than the last second last guy to drop out or finish, and then um, a couple of the coaches ran in with him just to keep him company. But they only did one lap with him, and then they stopped themselves. They couldn't go back to back. Um, but he, I think he did miss the timing on the last one. I think he actually they didn't stop it per se. I think he sort of exhausted himself. Don't um, Mick Mick. Don't let the facts get in the way of a good don't story. He yes. locked it. He finished I was gonna it. say I was gonna say though, that was purely because they wanted to get the other blokes doing something to stand around watching doing nothing. So you can only do that for so uh, long, right? Then we've got to get into some the correct. next drill. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Clay Tucker was the first out, he was struggling, but um, not unexpected. The big blokes um sort of were the early ones to drop out. And the one I, I noticed was um John Newcomb was probably the first the midfielders to drop out, but not not that far in front of the main group anyway. Okay. So, that makes sense. Yeah, so what you're saying is yeah. like, you know, he, it wasn't that he was a lone wolf in terms of, you know, dropping out early no. and, and everybody powered past no. him. Yeah. No, no, not at all. Not at yeah. all. Yeah, and um, what were some other yeah. notable uh, notable moments or things that you sort of, that caught your eye from, from the session, Mick? Just then after that, they just basically went into ball drill activities. They didn't do any full ground stuff, so it was more, you know, um, group activities so it was a little bit hard to tell also they're all wearing singlets so no numbers and different haircuts so a couple of blokes were hard to pick up uh, like I didn't realize Warple was out there till I saw the photos later because he was wearing a cap obviously um, but no that after that it was just pure ball uh, ball skill ball activities hands on you know that sort of thing so it was a bit hard to sort of make any impression as to you know um, development they you know they all moved well. CJ was the interesting one, didn't participate. Um, Chad Wingard rocked down late in the civvies. He came down with um, Jamie Bennell. They were chatting away. Um, Connor Nash came down. He was in training gear. He must have been upstairs doing weights or doing something. Um, Cicely did the, the ball activities, as did uh, Warple. Harry Morrison did the beat or the yo-yo test. He was the only senior bloke I sort of picked to do it. I didn't see Reeves out there. Um, yeah, so that's probably as much as I could sort of um, give the insight. Well, if Reeves was there, you definitely would have spotted him. Um, oh, that's no. right, yeah. And Mitchell Lewis was the other one. Mitchell Lewis was the one who sort of left a little bit early. He was out there supporting, doing the moral support in the deep test or the AO test, and then um, he wandered off. Mick, a question um, yeah. anonymously in our WhatsApp group from Andrew Weiss was, was Finn uh, wearing a singlet or was he shirtless? Oh, I just assume I just assume you didn't recognise him with his singlet on. <laughs> it was about eighteen degrees, so it wasn't real warm. I'll give you the tip. Yeah. Somehow, I don't think Finn's too worried about the temperature. I don't think that's the driving factor for <laughs> the shirt staying on or or, or going off. <laughs> Mick, when you say that Chad Wingard is wearing civvies, was it a black a black singlet with white shorts or what, or vice versa? No, it was it did have some writing on the t-shirt. I couldn't make it out, Ash. But um, he 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 wasn't hobbling her either. He wasn't, you know. So uh, he's you know he's just walking down the steps normally. To to be fair, oh the other one, um, Cooper Stevens was there too. He did the whole drill, did everything. Um, so yeah, I wonder how that goes with. Um, are they still Ash? This is probably a question for you. Are they still considered? Like he's been delisted. Is he? Is he just like? Is there like an element of like risk OH and S wise, or do they have a short term contract to be able to do this training or? 
um, who carries that that risk for somebody like Cooper Stevens? That's a really good question. Um, I don't know, to be honest, whether he's he should be. I'm not sure whether he should be training. Maybe taking the impression that if he's doing non-contact, just running training, well, it's would it, no different to going down training by himself. But I guess he technically is not on the on the list at the moment. But um, invited to contract, train list. Invited to train list. Maybe yeah, would it would potentially to... would it potentially be looked at in the same way that a potential SPP pickup is looked at? Must be. Yeah, a formal application to allow them to train. But he's also I contracted. I think he's got a two-year contract. I think Cooper Stevens. That's so the point of that. Yeah. yeah he's, he's got the contract, so they'd yeah, have to okay. honour him. Yeah. They've got to honour the contract. Yeah. So I think that sort of gives him some sort of protection under the under the standard plane contract. But it's a good question though as to what uh, what would happen if they did and they did their ACL and the sort of this uh one week hiatus, like ten day hiatus between that and like the rookie draft next Wednesday when they're officially back on the list again. Yeah, it's a it's an interesting question. Um Mick, uh, question from Dom in the chat. Uh, he said, How's the turf down at Waverley? Um, any idea if there's the, the usual turf replacement which sees us train elsewhere over the new year? How was it looking down there? It was looking at Peter on Monday. Then I walked past again today and they had um, the centre, part of the centre square roped off and then they had um, near near where the players run out roped off. But the turf didn't look damaged, yeah. Um, so, no, because look, the pitch, now whether that's trying to keep the local people away from sort of the main areas i don't know i just that was interesting because um yeah it didn't look didn't look an issue on monday i've got a theory i want to fight this by it because i was talking to someone from north melbourne today they're doing the latrobe university experience i think um december and january or january february um but apparently that they might have learned from hawthorne i think they might have sort of picked hawthorne's brain about the whole thing because my understanding is they'll have they'll be doing their gym work out there they're, they're going to relocate to Latrobe for sort of two or probably three days a week full time the football program and just have one day a week back at North Melbourne. Hawthorne were doing the training in the morning and then getting and most of the players as we know Hawthorne live you know far away the other side of town and the Hawthorne players would do their training get in the car and then drive back to Waverley stopping for lunch you know for, get some sushi or something for lunch and then head back to the footy club. So I'm wondering whether North might have. Uh, learned the lesson or some, have got, got extra facilities at Latrobe that Hawthorne didn't have. But I'm wondering whether over the course, uh, Hawthorne sort of said all the right things, but I'm wondering whether it affected performance because it's not ideal, despite this being the club put on, it couldn't be an ideal for them to train the way they were last year and have and spending big parts of every day in a car, tra- travelling the 20, 25 k's, whatever it is, between Latrobe and, um, and, and Waverley. Yeah, absolutely. I think, um, you know, what do they say? Ash, imitation is the sincerest form of flattery. But, um, you know, you don't, you don't want that. And it probably impacts probably the Hawks more than it would the Roos, just with where the geographical locations of, um, of Hawthorne players were probably comparatively to North Melbourne players. But, um, yeah, it, it had to have had an impact. And I'm pretty sure we heard something, uh, maybe, I'm, maybe I'm wrong, but I'm pretty sure we heard something during the, the preseason saying like that was a bit of a hard slog. That's a lot of time after doing, you know, your running and your, your, your um, skills work to be sitting in a car before you go and do your weights work. I think that can't be ideal. Yeah, I think what they put one of those day in the life on videos and I'm pretty sure they'll get, it was still dark and they're getting up in the morning. That's how far we've given the, you know, as you say, most of them live in the southeastern suburbs. 
you know, they, it was dark when they were getting up and then doing the hell of a long drive out to Waverley to the uh, to Motla Trove for the skill session. So I, you know, whether it affected for their slow start to the season, it's probably not. But it couldn't have been beneficial to top elite high performance. I think you're right, Ash, because it was Connor McDonald. He did his day in the That's life. Right, he yeah. was, I think it might have been half past five. or caught the six. He was getting up in the morning. Um, and again, on the, I know his parents at Dubton. I don't know where he's living. Um, yeah, and driving back, you wouldn't think it'd be good for the body. The other thing for North, probably, I don't know whether you want to drive back into the city at that in the mid-afternoon anyway, with all the roadworks going on around there. Yeah, but I think I said they're going to relocate for like two or three full days a week. The players won't go to the club at all. They'll do all their work, both their skills, their gym, and I guess some theory and classroom work as well will all be done up at Latrobe. So I think they, they might have... Uh, if Latrobe's put on more facilities than they had for Hawthorne or North have sort of learnt off Hawthorne and, uh, and decided to do it differently and, and, and probably better as well. Absolutely. Well, Mick, thank you for the uh, pre-season coverage. I want to throw to, um, in lieu of our merch guru, Darren Levine, not being here this week. Um, AJ, you are a merch connoisseur, if nothing else. Uh, I want to throw to you very quickly. It's a question that's come from Patrick. Um, just a quick chat before Ben joins us. Uh, around the 2024 merch, your initial thoughts and uh, how does it rate comparatively um, with, you know, our offerings this past season? I'll be pitching to you and Ash and the, the team afterwards, Danny, to let me write one article a year for the Substack and that will just be AJ's merch thoughts. Love Every it. year that we do a merch drop, that'll be my one role at Hawks Insiders. Um, I think, I think, you, should do it. Your I think you should do it weekly. What are you talking about, AJ? Pick a that different just, item. That would just be a weekly, what is AJ you. wearing today? Because um, that's pretty much all I wear nowadays. Um, I think it looks fantastic. The the carbon colour that they're referring to, I think, Danny, you and I uh, had a bit of a chat about this in the Box Hill chat, that it just looks like more work went into this year. There's a bit more flourish of pattern. There's the Indigenous art that was on the warm-up tops last year. That's covered over to the entire merchandise group this year. So it's clear that ISC have been working on this for a while. I like having merch offerings that aren't brown and gold because I, I like the Richmond theory of leaving your colours as your match day colours, for lack of a better term. So I like that we have different things that we branch out and the brown and gold is the focus of game day. So the carbon looks great. Last year, the blue I liked, but it felt a little bit rushed at the same time to just get things out in time. I think overall it's a really good win. The Guernseys haven't changed. Uh, I think, Paddy, you asked in there about an alternate Guernsey for this season. I am one of the people who, after the retro round game, says they should drop the Heritage jumper, the Legends jumper, and wear the Big Hawk as their main alternate jumper because I thought that looked fantastic and the fan base really seemed to get behind it too. But overall, I think the, I think the ISC gear looks fantastic this year and I've already bought like eight things off it. Yeah, let, let, tell us the truth. How much have you dropped? How much uh, cash have you already spent? Uh, it wasn't too bad this year. I think I've only spent 400 so far. Uh, is, is that all? Yeah. <laughs> okay, well. Uh, but, I have, but in fairness, that's 400 without buying a Guernsey. That's a fair amount of money. I, I, I would say that, um, you know, I'm not a, a big merch guy myself. I don't buy a lot of off-field gear. Actually, I'm, I'm exaggerating. I, I buy no off-field gear. Um, I bought one of the retro round um, Parker jackets, um, 
But what I would say is that the stuff this year, I think, is is streets ahead of what uh, ISC produced um, for the 2023 season. That blue just wasn't wasn't great. Didn't didn't uh, didn't fill me with any any sort of excitement whatsoever. Whereas the new stuff definitely does. Um, but we'll we'll park that there. We thank you, uh, our merch correspondent AJ, for and we look forward to uh, your piece in the Substack very soon. We are joined by a special guest, one of the rising stars of football media. He is, uh, I say that because not only can he write, but he can commentate. Um, he's equally adept uh, with a keyboard or a microphone. His name is Ben Waterworth from Fox Sports. He's one of their draft gurus, and we didn't think we could get through. Uh, we couldn't preview the draft in complete confidence because we only have half a clue. He has a major clue. Ben, welcome to Hawkins. Hello, Ash. Thank you for that uh, for that pump up. It's a, a pleasure to be on. A career highlight, dare we say, to be on with you guys tonight. Flattery will get you nowhere. Lion gets you everywhere. Uh, but uh, well, <laughs> great to have you on board. Um, they say that the draft will properly start when Hawthorne makes their pick. Do you subscribe to that theory? <laughs> um, I suppose. Oh, I don't know about that. I think um, in, in terms of um, in terms of how it actually plays out and, and the, I suppose the predictability of how the first, I think, four picks will play out because I think Jed Walter will likely get a bid um, from North Melbourne at, at some stage. But even, you know, so, so much is said at this time of the year where you think, um, you know, will, will North Melbourne even bid? And I, I know rival clubs will... Would laugh if uh, if North Melbourne didn't put a, a bit on Jed Walter. He's widely considered the second best for some best prospect in the in, in the draft. So, for, for, uh, yeah, there, there could be the first curveball at, at Hawthorne. But having said that, there could be a, a curveball at, at North Melbourne as well. I think uh, I, I think probably the the most the, the thing that we can lock in probably more than anything else is that um, Harley Reid is going at number one. Just depends on which the on which club um, has the pick. And it's looking more and more likely now that West Coast will hold the pick and and will will take Harley Reid at um at pick one. That's um that's pretty much uh, pretty universal across sort of the, the people I've been speaking to for over the past couple of months. So, um, but yeah, it, who knows? Everyone thinks Nick Watson's going going to Hawthorne, but you know Daniel Curtin gets flown over to to Hawthorne for an interview later this week. Uh, it's early this week. Sorry, Connor O'Sullivan has a has a um, has a meeting with Hawthorne. Uh, a couple of whispers around that even Hawthorne met with Harry Demadia um, during the during the week. Who's the um, who's from the Dandenong Stingrays? One of their uh, their, their captains there. But uh, again, not a player that um, is going to be picked at pick four or pick forty four. So sort of what's um, bit of in, bit of intrigue about that. So yeah, Hawthorne could throw could throw a curveball in the draft. Could start there, or it could or it could really start at North Melbourne. A lot to play at still, Ash. I guess let's work through. So McCurch will go to North Melbourne. That much is a given. Um, there, that that's yeah. Oh, so that's ninety nine percent certain with one of their picks. They'll bid bid for Walter, and of course he'll go to Gold Coast. Then it gets interesting. Um, I think Hawthorne supporters. I mean, there's a lot of excitement about Dersma, but probably the belief that they won't get him. But to tell talk through each of the sort of the strengths and the appeal of of Dersma, Watson, and Curtin, and what makes them. Uh, what makes them worthy to be, you know, top three, top five? Yeah, so Dersma and and um, and Watson are, are are the forwards, and and there's tw- there's almost twenty centimeters difference between Dersma and and Watson. Uh, Watson com- uh, compares himself to P- Tom Papley, both uh, in terms of playing style and sledging as well. He reckons he gi- he gives it just as much um, 
or he's, he's good at giving it just as much as taking it, um, Nick Watson. And um, so he's your 170 centimetre small forward, think Tom, Tom Papley, mercurial, can kick goals from anywhere. He's so clean at um, at, at ground level. Zane Dersma, I think if Hawthorne had their way, I think they'd be taking Zane Dersma ahead of um, ahead of Watson. Um, but as you mentioned, it, it looks more likely that North Melbourne will will take him and hold any picks. And you know, if there are any trade kind of offers, they're less likely to um, to, to take to take those offers on. So Dersma is your 189 centimetre player. I I compared him to Toby Green. Um, it just in terms of his match-winning ability, a, a medium forward, powerful, but often will have a stat line of 15 to 20 disposals and between two and four goals. And that was basically his stat line right throughout the, the back end of um, of, uh, of this uh, draft campaign as well. So competitive, really strong in the air, um, crafty around goal and can pinch hit in the midfield, although I believe he'll be starting sort of closer to goal um, at, at AFL level. But I think that's the goal to eventually get him uh, in into the midfield, Watson just by the way did play a little bit sort of behind the ball at stages for the Eastern Rangers in particular this year. Um, just to, I think recruiters were keen to sort of see him add another string to his string to his bow, but um, his ability close to goal is is incredible. And then you got Daniel Curtin, who's 195 centimeters, so a, a very a very different player. Um, I called two games that Curtin played in for Western Australia. Uh, one where he played as a key defender against Jed Walter. And Walter was on fire that day and was getting so much supply. So it was pretty hard for Curtin. But Curtin sort of held his own, despite Walter getting five shots a goal. Um, and, yeah, so really an excellent interceptor, um, really composed, excellent left foot kick. Uh, but then went into the midfield against uh, Vic Metro at a game at Rabin that I saw. And I, I looked at him play, and there, there was just like a – and I'm not saying he's, he's as good at, at the same age or – this type of play yet, but there was just a Marcus Bontempelli-like presence about Curtin as he kind of graced around the midfield, um, particularly stoppages. And then, you know, bon- that, that ability of Bontempelli to, to get out of stoppage, sort of arch the back and, you know, a precise lift would kick up the field. That's what Curtin was doing as well. But the thing is, if Curtin doesn't go to Hawthorne, there's, there's a fair chance he slides down down the order on draft night. He's probably the, the, the big sort of mystery, I think, of, of the top 10 um, on draft night as well, um, and you know whether he whether he's still there at, at, at pick ten kind of is uh, is a, there's a bit of conjecture uh, around that. So, but there, they're, they're, you mentioned those three players, three very different players, um, and I think at this at this point of the draft, Ash, it's very much a point of picking on um, best talent available rather than needs, and so that's what Hawthorne are weighing up at the moment. Ben, uh, Danny, Prince here. Um, just a, a quick one. I mean, you, you spoke about the strengths and the weaknesses of, of the three. Uh, and there has been a little bit of a chat of late of Connor O'Sullivan, yep. who's a key position defender as well. Uh, more of a smoky, I think, than, than anything. Um, which, way do you, which way do you have the Hawks pegged? For I have them going for Watson for now. Um, I, yeah, I, I think Watson would be higher... Oh, but he'd be higher on a lot of draft boards, I think, than Curtin for, for a lot of clubs, I, I think. Um, he's, yeah, I, forget forget his height. Uh, he's one of the most talented small forwards we've, we've seen come through in in recent time. He, he's going to bring a lot of people through the turnstiles for, for a lot of years. Um, Nick Watson, he kicked 14 goals for Vic Metro um, in the champs, which was... Um, which was the the most of, uh, of any player in the in the national champs. Uh, some people though would say that O'Sullivan 
is a better defender and the best key defender um, in in this draft pool and, and and better than Daniel Curtin. I think um, I think I reckon on most draft boards twelve months ago he probably would have been about fifteen. Some would have him closer to five now. I had him at about nine on um, on mine. Um, he's he's a one he's one ninety eight. He was uh, he's did two k time trial in, in the top ten in the at the recent draft combine. Um, but he's put on a little bit of size this year. I think he's put on about six kilos this year. Started forward, even played a little bit of midfield, but kind of found his niche and, and his rhythm in the season in defence where he's an excellent interceptor, a really good pair of hands, really good mark and, and quite good below his knees. Um, I wouldn't see, I wouldn't be surprised if, if he jumped up on um, on draft night. It's, I, I've actually heard during the week that clubs like Adelaide and Sydney who have 10 and 12 in the natural draft order at the moment are even contemplating moving up the board to try and pinch a player like um, O'Sullivan, considering they know that Essendon has been strongly linked to, to O'Sullivan. So um, there's a lot of, a lot of love, a lot of love for the, the Murray Bush Rangers product. Yeah. And do you think that the, the questions around his ability as potentially a uh, better defender than Curtin is more around Curtin's sort of, the question marks around Curtin's long-term future in positionally. Do you think that that's what most people aren't quite sure what to peg Curtin as at the next level? I think there's probably X factor is not the the right word, but there's just there's just a, a quality of um, of explosiveness. I think aerially that uh, I think has probably people thinking O'Sullivan. Um, has a has a higher ceiling um, maybe than than what Curtin does. So you know uh, it depends on which you know it's all on the all on the behind eyes of the beholder at this at this stage and right throughout the year as well. But you know, a lot of clubs can't see Daniel Curtin becoming a midfielder at um at, at AFL level. Um, but you know it not too many prospects from WA get to play consistent waffle league footy, um, a senior waffle league footy. Um, six games in fact not not many players get to do that as well and a lot of w, top wa prospects in in past years um have uh, have played senior waffle league footy for um for an elongated period of time in their draft year as well so um yeah there's i i suppose some some clubs would say that that curtain is is a is a well well-rounded rounded player um and can, can be i suppose a, a nice player um but, but O'Sullivan's not a O'Sullivan's just got this this X factor about him that that, that really appeals that, that that intercept marking and ability to um, yeah to leap um, and just the fact that you know he can I think he was eighth in the, in the two kilometer time trial he's, he's got an, an enormous tank um, yeah there's I think some clubs see more upside in O'Sullivan at AFL level. Ben, given uh, you obviously mentioned there are a couple of clubs who will probably be looking to get higher up, especially from an uh, O'Sullivan point of view, but, you know, there's been talk about who wants Curtin and um, talk about the dogs and D's potentially um, fighting over over a Watson. Mm -hmm. And um, do you think uh, Hawthorne... uh, um, how certain do you think they would be in their minds that they're going to take uh, top five talent with that pick versus um, what, what do you think the chances would be that we might see uh, the Muse their full couple of minutes because we've got clubs approaching to split that yeah. pick potentially? Yeah, I would, I would definitely, I think, you know, I think you're right. I think they'll, they'll definitely be getting some offers um, right throughout um, yeah in the lead up to the draft, obviously clubs can't officially trade picks right now, but 
there's conversations and phone calls would be happening, you know, over recent days and they'll be happening right up to, to draft night um, as well. Uh, my hunch is I think it would take a lot for Hawthorne to move from that pick considering, you know, we, we saw the Western Bulldogs trade with the Suns during the recent trade period. Um, the Dogs gave up three first-round picks to get up to um, four, which became five after the Mackay compensation. Um, that, that There is a very high price on, I think, the, the top five, top six picks in, in this year's draft. So I, I think Hawthorne would be very confident that they're getting a top five, top six player um, at um, with their first pick. And, um, yeah, despite the offers that I think will inevitably come, I, I can see them I can see them holding. And could you say something going the opposite way with Hawthorne, where knowing that they've got McCabe coming in as well, so yeah. they're essentially already getting two firsts in this draft order. Could you see them saying, well, we feel pretty confident about potentially having three this year and missing out next year and subsequently trying to trade next year's pick into that first round. I've heard a couple of those picks inside 10 might potentially be gettable yep. later, in, later in that top 10. Could you see Hawthorne making a move on Depends that Depends because I, I think the, the top... So how it was described to me is at the top of this draft are, are mainly players outside the centre square um, and next year's draft is a lot of players inside the centre square. It's a very midfield heavy draft next year, uh, uh, at, particularly at the top and, and, and a lot of Gun Victorian, uh, particularly Vic Metro players at the top of um, at the top of um, next year's draft. You're right. I think there are some gettable picks in in that top ten. I think everyone, um, I, I think it's well known at Clubland that Geelong will listen to offers for its pick eight right up until it's their time on the clock um, to to select as well. They um, they have eight and twenty five. Twenty five was the Radigalia pick they got back from um, they got back from Port Adelaide. So, but I, I think they would. I think they'd be interested in splitting splitting that. I think, I think Adelaide's the, the team that I think is most likely going to try and work its way into the into the top ten. You know, you hear um, whispers during the week, and I reported this on um, on Fox Sports about um, Essendon being linked to uh, Riley Hardiman, who's the the WA uh, captain, rebounding defender. Um, sort of think a left-footed Bailey Dale, uh, essentially. Um, Essendon potentially being prepared to trade down the order to a pick where they can still get a, a player like Hardiman, but also get another pick back um, as well. So that, I think that those those picks are, are, are potentially gettable. Certainly Geelong's, I think, is um, is, is on the table. Um, I, I don't know. In terms of Hawthorne moving more into, into this year's draft, I... I, I I think with the pick that they've got now, and as I mentioned before, the high price inside six, the fact that they're going to get, um, and, and they've committed basically to, to McCabe as well, and a McCabe bid I think is happening mid-first round at um, at some stage as well. Um, so they've banked, already banked a lot of picks, and then obviously um, Cal Shadir could potentially receive a bid a, a little bit later on in um, in the draft as well. I... I, I I would say it's more unlikely that they trade back into this year's um, draft. They obviously did it last year to get Josh Weddle. So would they do that two years in a row? And would they do it with a with a pretty juicy um, top end next year as well? It'd be it'd be a significant play. It wouldn't rule anything out. But my hunch is it would be more unlikely than likely. Before we move, I want to get you to talk quickly about McCabe and yep. Deer, uh, especially Deer being a bit of a bolter. Mm. Of those three, linked to Hawthorne, being Curtin. Watson and, say, Dersma, more unlikely than likely. Uh, 
would they and your knowledge of you know your your knowledge of, of Hawthorne would are that would any of them uh, be a round one provided they, good, they, they get through the preseason? Any of them play round one? Uh, I. Uh, yeah, I, even though he's 170, I wouldn't put it past um, Watson to have a crack. Um, like he's he's diminutive in, in stature, but you know he, he's sort of pretty. He's a pretty strong kind of um, operator, I think. Um, and you know, I think the Hawks, you know, obviously looking for more firepower inside 50 to uh, you know uh, help out um, Mitch Lewis as well. Obviously, he's not a not a key forward in in that sense, but he's a he's a he's a goal kicker at every level that he's. That he's played at. Um, Durs was played VFL footy for, for Casey, a couple of VFL games for Casey, and obviously Curtin has um, and Curtin has played um, Waffle League footy as well, six um, six games there, which is nothing to be sneezed at. Um, oh, so I think Watson, but I wouldn't obviously rule out the other the other the other two as well, considering that they've already played at, at state league level this year. Ben, uh, you touched on uh, Will McCabe, and there's a there's a lot of Hawthorne family connections mm. in this draft. Um, McCabe being the, sort of the most known one. Um, a couple of questions on you. We'll start with McCabe. Um, if Adelaide keeps their pick, they're a fairly likely bid with all things considered their need for key defenders, um, the fact that he is a South Australian. Yeah. Uh, where do you see that bid sort of coming uh, for McCabe? I've been asking this question a lot because this is uh, in, yeah. in, recent, uh, in recent days because, you know, McCabe's one of, oh, potentially six. I even heard today maybe seven players that might receive a bid in the, in the, in the first round. Um, I think the earliest that a bid would come would be the would be the Adelaide pick 10, which I think becomes 12 after Walter. And I reckon Ethan Reid probably gets from Gold Coast Academy, probably gets a bid before McCabe as well. So I think the Crows 10 and, and Croft. Croft. Um, Croft. So it was put to me because Sydney have form at in, particularly last year, uh, in uh, sort of launching bids in in um, in clumps, and obviously they did that last year with Harry Rouston, who went to the Giants, and Michael Annie, who went to Adelaide, and then obviously they traded out to to allow Hawthorne to get to, to get Weddle. So the the, Swan, the Swans are obviously active in in this space as well. So it was put to me that um, McCabe would be the first. Um, uh, Adelaide are probably the first club there. And then Sydney could bid on both McCabe and Croft and maybe even Jake Rogers, who's the, who's the third son, Suns Academy player. Like clubs would not be surprised if Sydney bid on all those three players there. I would be very, very surprised. Um, yeah, I, I, would, I would think somewhere between Adelaide's first pick and then the Ruse third pick, which is 15, which will, you know, obviously come out as well. I, I think McCabe is getting taken. At um at some stage there, if if I had to choose now, I'd I'd probably say Sydney or St Kilda would probably be bidding on McCabe. And Ash touched on it before. The next sort of cab off the rank is obviously for or for the Hawks between McCabe and potentially Kalshadir. It looks like the Hawks will miss out on uh, brother of uh, Chancroft Gia. Yep. Gia. Is, that, uh, is that fair to say? There's probably no real chance of him lasting to pick 40. Uh, no, I, yeah, I think it's, I think it's doubtful. It's, it's not like, um, you know, someone like a Riley Sanders, right? He, there's no way that he's sort of staying within, within 40. He's probably, he's not Riley Sanders kind of territory and he's not quite Mitch Edwards territory, who's the WA ruck, who's linked to Frio's NGA, who was probably a top 10 at the start of the year. Now there's even whispers he, that he might go to um, to 40. Uh, there's also a, a Western Bulldogs next generation 
um, academy player uh, Lumon Lawal, who as well as again is sort of a, a medium-sized defender. I, I put Giath and Lawal kind of in the in the same kind of bracket. I, I think I think I had Lawal sort of twenty-seven on my draft board, and Giath not not too much further after that. Um, and Giath, Giath, I think has suitors in the first round. I, I think the Giants will, will consider Giath with um, their second pick uh, in particular. I, I think he's sort of a, a, around that mark. Um, as well. Um, so, yeah, and maybe even St Kilda in, in the first round too. And I, and I know the Tigers certainly have interest in Jeff. So very, I think, I don't think he's getting, I don't think he's uh, getting to 40. That's a fair old rise for, for yeah. Jeff too, because at the start of the year, he wasn't even playing uh, for Gippsland power at all. And his back half of the year just got him all the way into first round calculations, which is pretty impressive. Oh, it is. And he's, he's a different player to, to CJ. CJ breaks lines with run and carry, whereas um, Tojiaf is, is more of a, a creator and a bit of a neat distributor off, um, off halfback as well. And there, there was, he had 29 in a wild card round uh, display against the Stingrays, which was sort of really noteworthy and, um, you know, eye-catching dash, dare, interceptability off halfback. I, um, so a bit of a comparison to Nick Blostone, maybe not as, not quite as, um, Sort of locked down. He's probably maybe not as locked down as um, Nick Bostone because Bostone can obviously play above his height a, a little bit more. But sort of this space was downloaded via spacesdown.com. Visit to download your spaces today. In that mold, um, rather than sort of the the, the line breaker that, that CJ is. I think for for Hawks fans, um, the one sort of little bit of comfort that they might take from missing out on, you know, the that family connection is. If we're stacked for anything, it's running half-back flanks mm. or half-back flank players of that medium size. So it's probably not a, an area of need yep. for, for our list build, which is, which is not necessarily a bad thing. Um, the sec- I've got two more family-related questions, Hawk family-related questions. The, the next one's pretty straightforward. Cal Shadia, um, Hawks have nominated him to take him at the end of the national draft if no bid yep. comes. Do you think a bid comes then? Yeah. And if so, where do, where do you think it yeah, comes? Yeah, I, I think it does. Um, I can't... Someone told me... You know, a few people have told me 20, between 25 and 40. I, I, don't think it's, I don't think it's closer to 25. But I think it's closer to 40. He's got some serious upside. Uh, like mm. 195. Um, I, 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 he's raw. He's not going to play early in the AFL next year. But gosh, he had a good final series in the in the Coats League. He kicked um I've got the numbers here. He kicked two round seventeen from twenty touches, and then he kicked seven goals from four finals, including two goals two in the grand final. He uh yeah, I, I, there's a there's big upside on him. I, he's a like he's a development player, but he's already developed quite a fair bit as well. Um so I, I think clubs see a lot of I think clubs see a lot of upside um, in, in Deer to the point where I think there could be a bid on him. Um, not, yeah, I, I, as I said, probably closer to 40 than a 25, as it was put to me. I, I think he'll, considering that there might be between 55 and, and 60 picks, maybe be between 40 and 50 is probably where a one could come. Having said that, though, we've seen in the past, you know, players like, uh, you know, Cooper Harvey and Jackson Archer from North Melbourne, um, sort of, you know, be taken up with uh, the Ruse last picks in, um, in in the national draft. But I, I just think clubs have a little bit more interest than a Cal, than in Cal Shadir than they have in, say, Archer and, and Harvey in previous years. 
Yeah, probably speaks to the 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 dearth of quality talented key position forwards over sort of those smaller types. I think yeah. from that perspective, Ben. Now the last one I have for you is a little bit out outside the box. Uh, Will Lorenz is the grandson of Hawthorne champion, just another Hawthorne player, Ash um, Graham Arthur. Uh, he started the season as I think uh, one of the names to watch yep. in terms of you know top round first round draft picks and has slid along with Ashton Moore. I can never get his yeah, name Moya. right. Uh, has yeah Moya has sort of slid right down draft boards. Uh, where do you expect him to go? Obviously the Hawks don't have access to him, yep. uh, but from a romanticism and Hawthorne <laughs> supporting, uh, we just draft Hawthorne supporters now. Of course. The Hawks. Uh, um, you know, uh, where where do you sort of expect Will to, to land in the draft? So I didn't have him in my top 50. And then a couple of recruiters asked me, any reason why I didn't have Will Lorenz in your top 50? So there's, um, yes, he hasn't had the year that he's had um, or, or that he would have liked to have had. Um, but I, I think there is, um, I think a lot of clubs know his talent and his upside and, and, and his potential potential. At um at AFL level, I, I think I I made a couple I made a couple of calls today, and uh, my I reckon Lorenz goes on on national draft night um, at this stage at least at least a rookie pick um, I, I think as well, um, but yeah I, I can see him going on on um, on draft night one eighty six, um, and you know I, I think recruiters go back to that um, he performed quite well in. We talked about Daniel Curtin before, who was best on ground on grand final day last year in that um, under-17s Futures Games. Lorenz was really good that day too, and I think clubs remember that. Um, yeah, good left foot kick, um, pretty composed in tight, in, in congestion um, from the Oakley Chargers. De- yeah, decent size at 186. Yeah, I can see him probably going in the natural draft, but you know, probably not until up, uh, at least pick 40 onwards. Ben, just a quick one out of the chat here, just taking a quick step back from the draft. Damien Bertram asks, is Ben saying this being a career highlight, he's ahead of calling Box Hill games with the 3WBC? <laughs> oh, that's where I plied my trade for a number of years. I have very fond memories of doing um, 3WBC uh, Box Hill Hawks games and seeing the likes of James Sicily kicking bags for Box Hill before he was having 43 to, uh, disposals and 30 intercepts in, um, in games. And, you know, seeing Sam Grimley just, uh, just dominate, seeing Alex Woodward just rack up the footy for fun for Box Hill. Oh, they, they, they were a good day. And Box Hill were very, obviously very, very good t- and still are a good team, but, you know, sort of mid to mid 2010s when I was um, sort of doing stuff there. Um, yeah. Loved, uh, loved going and seeing uh, the Box Hill Hawks and loved the, uh, the group of volunteers led by the, uh, the great Paul Hooper and, uh, Neil Butler and Phil Edwards, uh, they're great guys. Uh, I loved uh, calling the, the, the Box Hill Hawks games. Ben, before we let you go, um, you're probably given the uh, difficult task of having to do draft gradings after this is all over on uh, I Tuesday hate doing night. Now, it's not for me to remind you of it. Anyway, Hawthorne got a D-plus last oh, year from you guys, which I, which I think... In hindsight, you might want to revisit, but I want to ask you as a, as someone who you know you're bloody good at this beat now. How after how many years should it really? What's the optimum number of years after the draft to actually do the grades? If I if I just firstly, if I had a choice, I'd rather not do the grades. And I think you you won't you won't see a lot of other outlets do grades as well because I think they've gotten on this one. No, one, it's at, bloody hard. The twenty four hours job. after a uh, or you know after draft is um is pretty hard. Oh. 
Four, five? What do you reckon, Ash? I, I think I think four to five. I, I think four. Yeah. I, I, see, I look at the 2020 draft, which was, you know, the COVID draft now. So I, I challenge sort of any fan to look at that draft now and try and redraft that that crop now. And it's, it's hard. Like, it, Errol Goulden was in the hard. 30s. He's probably the best player out of that out of that draft now. But, like, Riley Philthorpe's in there, Will Phillips, Logan McDonald. Like, they went with top top six, top seven. Granger Barras, obviously, at the Hawks. Yeah. Like, that that's yeah. turning into a into a into a fascinating like that's going to be an interesting story in one or two years time to sort of see where a lot of those players are at and the, the impact of COVID in in that time. Um, I think the general rule is probably four for for mine to sort of grasp yeah. um, to grasp a true assessment of uh, of the draft. I don't. Yes, I, but the, the D plus grade certainly got some feedback, Ash, to to say the least. I, I def- <laughs> was definitely wrong. On Josh Weddle, um, <laughs> I still I still believe they should have got Ruben Jindy in, over instead of Cam McKenzie. Um, but oh, yeah, happy to put my hand up and own own Weddle. Nah. He's been a star for the Hawks this year. It, it's interesting with um, with the draft because after four years, players if they're good, they're signed away almost to free agency, and if they're no good, they're on the last year of their contract. I think mm. if you look at players after four, that's why I reckon four. I reckon you're right, four years is a really good time to do the proper draft assessments. Ben, we always like to let everybody uh, give themselves a, a sort of pat on the back. So where, what will you do uh, during the draft and where can people find I'm you? I'm actually on the telly this year um, for, for oh. draft. I'm, um, I'm actually going to be out at um, Marvel Stadium doing um, a couple of news crosses um, and also interviewing the clubs as they um, – after um, after night one and after night two, so um, so looking forward to that. Something a little bit different. Normally, sort of talking to pitchers in the in the commentary box, but um, yeah, something a bit different on draft night. But between now and then, um, yeah, trying to sort of pump out as much stuff on foxfooty.com.au. I've actually transcribed an interview today that I did with Will McCabe uh, in, um, in at the draft combine uh, last week, and I think when you hear Will speak, I find like. Just his, his tone of voice and sort of the volume he speaks at um, and quite a deep talk. It reminds me of sort of Nat Fife when uh, Will, Will McCabe uh, speaks. He's a very deep thinker about um, the game. So looking forward to writing, putting that feature together over the next um, next couple of days. Do a, do a phantom draft, hopefully Saturday morning um, for foxfooty.com.au and then um, sort of any late whispers on the, on the Monday before, before uh, grand final day on Monday. All right. Well, we look forward to reading all of those. Uh, let's hope Will McKay wins two round lows like <laughs> fellow deep talker, Nat Five. Ben, thank you for coming on Hawks Inside. It's been an absolute pleasure of ours to have you on. We'll certainly get you back on at some stage uh, during the actual season next year to talk to a footy. I'll see you, no doubt, some... Pro- I'll be loitering around somewhere at Marvel during the draft. <laughs> we'll look forward to catching up with you there. Thanks for your time and thanks for joining us. My pleasure, guys. Keep up, uh, keep up the great work. And uh, yeah, hope, uh, hopefully go Hawks uh, next year in the rise up the ladder. But yeah, thanks for your time. Okay, thanks, Ben. That was the very, very talented and rising star, Ben Waterworth. Great to have him on board with us tonight. Danny, uh, this is your time to shine. I know you're going to write a piece of the Substack as well. What's your gut feel about what's going to happen on uh, Monday night with the Hawks? Yeah, look, I think Ben's summary is pretty pretty much spot on. I think there's if Dersma for some reason lasts to our pick, I think the Hawks will spend less than ten seconds before reading his name out. Yeah. North have, um, North are putting work into curtain. I do know that I was with the North person today. They are putting some work into curtain. So and look it's not a lay down as there that that Durs is go, probably will go to North, but it's not hundred percent certain. 
Yeah, and look, it makes sense from a North perspective because they have drafted Wardlaw and Sheasel last year, which are either midfield slash, you know, Sheasel could play, he can play across any line, um, you know, but, you know, was a forward at junior level, can kick bags and bags of goals and play midfield, played at halfback under Clarko for the first year. But Wardlaw's a midfielder. Um, you know, they're looking at McKercher as a midfielder. Um, some sort of key position player would be beneficial. They They stand to be at the bottom of the ladder, or towards the bottom next year as well. But like Ben said, it's a midfield heavy draft next year too. So, you know, a, a, a Dan Curtin, a taller type makes a bit more sense for them, but I, I don't necessarily see it happening. Um, you know, I'd be personally stoked. Dersma is one of my favourites in this draft, probably is my favourite outside of Harley Reid. Um, so he'd be lovely. I think it'll end up being Nick Watson. And I think a lot of... Um, Hawthorne fans will be really excited. Um, I have a, a question or two about his size. Um, taking a 170 centimetre player at pick sort of five is a risk in my eyes. But uh, in saying that, there is not a player in the draft that has the amount of tricks that Nick Watson has. And I think if he was 186 centimetres, he would uh, be a top two player in this draft. That's, that's how pure talent wise how talented he is so you know i think as ben mentioned and um you know a lot of people have said he has that ability to really bring people through the turnstiles and you can never have enough of those players and i'd probably argue that outside of uh will day and maybe josh weddle sort of developing that we don't have a lot of those players cj has the potential to be that type of player uh, but we don't have the real draw cards like we used to in the halcyon days of the three-peat where we had, you know, Cyril and um, Buddy as the real mercurial, you know, strap yourself in and just enjoy them play. So that's sort of how I see it, see it playing out. I think it'll be Watson um, unless Dersma's available. If Watson and Ginevan playing the same team and Watson's as good on the lip as Ben suggested he was, Hawthorne will be the most hateable team in the competition, which might be a good thing. Ginnivan and uh, and Watson, the fans will drive people mad. Well, I think also, Ash, it um, really increases our ability to draw free kicks inside 50. Um, and, you know, we only really have – we used to have a, a bunch that could either win it or draw, draw them, um, be it Cyril or Poppy, um, back in the day. But um, – I think, you know, the the ability for Ginevan to, to win free kicks uh, multiple ways, um, Nick Watson will have that ability too, just purely because of his size. Ash, he's hard to tackle because you, the, big, the big key defenders just can't get that low. Uh, and then also, you know, Dylan Moore is our best drawer of free kicks in the, inside the forward 50. He has a fantastic knack of um, the the shrug of the shoulder that just sort of gets the ball around, the, the arm around high in the neck. So um, you, you're absolutely right. Those two would make for compelling viewing being added to our forward line uh, mix. And, and I'm with Ben. I, I think there is a legitimate chance that if Watson is the one that's drafted, that he's in the round one team uh, next year because he's a fairly solidly built 170 centimetres. And uh, I think, you know, provided he's fit, fit in, in form, I think he'd probably play very early in the season next year. Interesting to see that uh, Sam Butler's come back in terrific shape. Maybe he knows that he's got a huge year ahead of him. He looks uh, he looks different. If you know, I mean, uh, Mick wants to jump in here, but uh, Butler looks a different figure than he did before. And it's not just the, the short hair, but he just looks to me like he's really trained well and prepared well for this preseason, knowing 
how important it is for him. Um, so he was equal second in the uh, yo-yo test, Ash, before we move on. Yeah. Um, Sam Butler, which is very surprising to me. He was in, in line with uh, Finn McGuinness and a few others. So, yeah, so that's, a, that's a big effort. It's a big effort. So he could be improved as well. So I uh, just really torn as what way they're going to go. I think the heart says Watson because it'll be fun to watch. It'll just make Hawthorne a, a more fun team to watch. And he'll be a match winner. He could be a match winner. Particularly, you know, he could step in and do Luke. You know, he could be Luke Bruce once Luke Bruce goes. The head says Curtin is the player Hawthorne actually need more of, uh, particularly um, that they have quite enough of, of his type of player in the side. So either way, we know the good player. If for some reason, Dersma is available. Well, you're right, Danny. They'll take all the five seconds to call his name out. He'll be, uh, it'll be magnificent if he comes. But uh, I think North are going to pip Hawthorne. I think when we did the podcast with uh, Rob McCartney, I think there was a bit of annoyance uh, when he, he he suggested that uh, they should have had pick three because I think they know Dersner was the one they really want to get and probably won't get him now. So, uh, yes, Mick? I was just going to say, Ash, it's worth keeping in mind when Clark had his sabbatical, he flew to Perth to watch Curtin play in a waffle game. So I've always got a seeking suspicion that um, he might be on their, their radar strongly. And also, and also two th- and the 2004 when they were supposed to get Tambly. Um mm. And Clarkson went to Buccaneers office two days before and said, no, nah, we're taking the big boys. So, because mm. they're the ones you build a team around. You can get the smaller players every year. Um, but if there's a good key position player there, you grab them. So, um, who knows which way Clark, Clarkson is going to think. And even the North Melbourne people uh, I was talking to today, that, that for all the work that recruiters are going to put in, they know full well that Clarkson might come in and just change the entire direction and strategy. Is there something to be said about just that nice hanging on to that little bit of a dream of Zane Dersmer in a Hawthorne jumper just annoying his brother in an Essendon jumper for the rest of time? I just want that so badly. It'd be fantastic if that was to happen. That'd be another reason that we hope it does happen, but we'll, uh, we might have set off a Massimo D'Ambrosio getting 25 touches and kicking three goals against him. In round one, uh, Danny, we're going to look forward to your uh, draft preview and your draft reviews, your sort of incident analysis as well on the uh, on the Substack after Arthur make their pick, and that's a nice segue um, as well into we're going to have a quick look at the fixture before we finish up. Not that there's a whole lot to report. Ash, um, um, just before we move on, I'm, I'm tipping Dom has a question about Nick Watson. So uh, before we move on, we'll just oh, take no, Dom's Dom. question quickly. Thanks for having me on, guys. I really appreciate your work as always. Uh, Not really a question here, more of a statement. And uh, I'm going to sort of, you know, let my hair down here. Here we go. Uh, And I'm going to channel my inner Fabrizio Romano. Nick Watson through Hawthorne. Here we go. I have been manifesting for months now. And it is happening. Five more nights, five more days, whatever it is, I'm that excited. Seriously, I could be at Hawk's Nest right now waiting in line to get my jersey printed, and I haven't worn a jersey for 10 years. I'm 22 years old currently, and, you know, I am just that excited. I've been manifesting this day for months upon months. Next year, round one, against Esteden, against the drug sheets, he's kicking five. It's not if he's going to be in the team. He will be in the team, and I'll be there. Okay, I'll be there no matter dumb, what. Dumb. Tom, Tom, it's uh, uh, here we go. 
breathe and here we go is a big <laughs> big statement Fabrizio works those phones have you actually got some inside intel that's a big call running with a here we go no no intel just uh just a statement from me but yeah i've been manifesting this moment for a long time now um and then oh yeah also one more point just there's another player that i think we could be targeting this draft again no intel but just my perspective uh his name's angus hasty geelong falcons boy he looks very a very very good player um, he's floated around the pick 30 mark. I've got him marked as a top 15, top 20 pick. Um, so, you know, if we do trade up, uh, I, I hope that, you know, we're targeting him and whoever ends up getting him, I think has got a really good player on their hands. Uh, he's 190, he's pretty lanky, but he reminds me of James Sisling all day. Uh, I don't say that lightly. You know, he can intercept the ball. He's got r- heaps of room for growth. Um, he's played minutes on the ball as well. Very quick, very agile. He's got it all. So I think he's going to be the bolter of the draft and he's definitely one to keep an eye out for. Uh, eye out for, yeah, Angus Hasty. Uh, what number will uh, what's a wear next year at Hawthorne, Tom? Uh, you know what? I'm hoping uh, 23 or 33. Oh. No. <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm here to break Gary Fox. <laughs> I will get the 23 on the back of my jersey. You've no. got to be tall for 23. Yeah, look, it's Sam Mitchell. It's a new era. Like, we're never going to have another Lance Franklin. It's been 10 years. You know, every player that's had it since has been absolutely rubbish. Oh, and, I, you know, no offence to them, but... That the 33 is available. Um, I think the it's a new era. About time people started rocking up to games with the 23 on their backs. Uh, and it would be good to, good to see that happen. So I've got Nick Watson having the number 23. Well, have we found have we found the balance to Brad with Tom? <laughs> <laughs> the anti Brad, the anti Brad. Uh, yeah, well, uh, I think Brad's quite excited about uh, next season. I'm not is he on uh, in, in our production scary. meeting? He's uh, quite bullish about it all, which is a bit scary. Uh, Don, thank you. Uh, so back to the fixture. We don't we know two games so far for Hawthorne. Well, apart from the fact that they will play Geelong on Easter Monday. Um, so round one, round one will be Essendon, probably Saturday. Saturday, I'm not sure if it'll be Saturday over or Saturday twilight. Seem to be thinking that the Melbourne Bulldogs might be on the Sunday afternoon this year. So uh, if these things go the way they do, it'll be Essendon's home game. But I'd rather play an Essendon home game, an away game against Essendon at the MCG than at uh, Dockland. So that will be a fun start to the season. I know we've got all got mixed views about playing Essendon. Round one on the upside, it means it's a big game, big crowd, great atmosphere, you know, great way to get back into footy. Downside is if they play, if they lose to Essendon, which they've done the last three times, I think they've played them, um, it puts a, casts a very dark cloud over all of, all of Hawthorne to lose to them. So it's a walking to a fine line, playing us in round Ash. one. It yes. doesn't really matter, does it, as long as Mitch Lewis kicks 10 on Ben McKay? <laughs> What it might come down to, but uh... Ash, a very serious question is: How is this opening round thing work? Is us playing Essendon round one, or is it round two? I'm so confused. It's round. It's round one. They're going to call it opening round. Round one technically will be round one uh, when Hawthorne plays. I don't know what's going to do. So someone's quite rightly pointed out 
what it's going to do to all the software engineers who do fixtures and tipping and what have you. It's going to be a bloody nightmare for them, but it's, it's, uh, that's their problem. Um, but I, I mean, I'll put on Twitter today, I think it's a wonderful idea the, uh, the, to open up the season. I know from talking to people at the uh, all the Northern clubs, especially the Swans and the Lions who've been entrenched in those markets for so long, that they just sit with utter frustration that, that you know, the NRL starts the season usually starts two weeks earlier than they do, and they often they play away their first games of Swans and Lions. So often their the rugby league's been going for three or four weeks before they get a home game. So they found that incredibly frustrating. So I think from that point of view, we have to. I know there's a old school thinking that no, oh, it's a disgrace that opening the season, not opening with the Carlton Richmond. But if you're a fan of footy and you want footy to thrive, it's a wonderful development. And that first round for the, for absolute gold. Matchups. I mean, Sydney Melbourne Grundy against Melbourne is a great matchup. Brisbane Carlton just be a great game, and that could be potentially a grand final preview. Um, Giants Collingwood. Well, that was what was the margin preliminary final, one point or whatever it was. And you've got Hardwick against Richmond in the first game. So all for those four of those games on the long weekend, it's going to be Labor Day weekend. It'll be fantastic. So I think it's a great move. And then into the proper round one after that. I guess the downside, excuse me, from a Hawthorne point of view, um, gentlemen, is that we were all looking forward to Hawthorne Collingwood at the MCG, be it a home game or away game. Um, feels a bit sad that that game's being played in Adelaide. Yeah, it, it definitely does. And um, and those Pies games, I mean, the the last Pies game we had at the MCG was an absolute cracker. So taking that away from, um, from Victoria seems... Well, it's an interesting decision. Oh, look, it's exciting for our Adelaide-based Hawks members. Um, they get to really see a you know a really good battle for for the Hawks um, on Adelaide Oval. Um, but yeah, there's there's some real question marks from from me on on that game being um, held in Gather Round. I think you know first and foremost is um, you know the the loss of potential loss of revenue for either club, but also the second one is. Didn't we like put in a request to the AFL to have Norwood again this year, and they've just denied our request and given us Collingwood at Adelaide Oval? Yeah, I mean, I well, Weesey and I were at Adelaide, I were at Norwood for Geelong for Hawthorne Giants. It was, I mean, apart from the result, it was a brilliant day. Um, brilliant. It's an absolutely brilliant day at the footy. I have no idea how they're going to fit. The, I mean, they'll have to lock them out. But two big, you know, two proper Victorian teams play at Norwood Oval. They'll get a fraction of the of the people who want to go to their game will actually get in. Um, you know, Richmond's still a juggernaut and Sickle has got a healthy following. So, um, And I'm, I'm tipping as well, Ash, based on, you know, went to, what was it, five matches last year. But the Sunday was a double header last year. And what I found from the other games at Adelaide Oval were actually – a lot of supporters from the clubs that were playing in either the, the first game or the second game didn't go to both of those matches. So being standalone, I know it's Hawthorne Collingwood and I know it's Gather Round, so there's going to be so many supporters of other clubs around. Being standalone at 4.40 on a Sunday, I reckon there's a chance that it won't be a sellout, which... Uh, which would be like a huge fail, wouldn't it? I think, I think they're hoping that – I think the marketing in this game is potentially the best game, apart from the two Adelaide games to kick off the gathering Thursday and Friday. I think they're sort of hoping that the 
going out the flourish. That's, they're going to build this up as a really as as one of the highlight as a, one of the marquee games of the gather round. I found that really strange, and I, I kind of unloaded about this on X when the fixture was first announced. That from an external, this is a big thing for Hawthorne, and it's a big thing for Collingwood, whether they're willing to admit it or not. With the the Dacos McGuinness story, the uh, Ginevan situation, Tom Mitchell having more to say about Hawthorne, but. If you're an external supporter, is it a big game? It's first versus sixteenth in reality. It's and I get that for me at least. Uh, gather round isn't really about the matchups per se. It's about having the nine games in Adelaide over the weekend, and that's fantastic. But I don't see how that people outside of Hawthorne and Collingwood this game is a draw at all. I, I think I might put this as soon as um, as soon as um, Ginevan went to Hawthorne. Um, this would this would have been a great Friday night game. The Channel Seven would have built this up, and Fox Footy would have built this game up beautifully, with all the sound grabs and all the sound bites. Don't you think, Weezy? This is your uh, specialty, a uh, bit of TV um, marketing. It would have been a million percent such an easy game to build up. That that sixty to ninety second teaser would have been yeah, uh, like just fireworks. It would have just got you up and about for it, and. I mean, Collingwood are going to draw big crowds regardless of who they play, but obviously they're going to acknowledge that we're at some point that we're on the up. So the opportunity to have 80,000 plus on a Friday night to build that up is just absolutely lost. And yeah, it'll potentially happen again if we play each other again during the season, but who knows by round 14 or 15 where the teams are sitting and you know, things have settled a little bit, so it's it's nowhere near as fiery as uh, early in the season. And I'm, that's kind of what I mean, is that that's a huge TV draw, and it's a huge draw in Melbourne because of our, our fan bases. I don't, as I said, I don't get how that draws in Adelaide. It's like... Even, even Thursday nights, now that we know that there are going to be 14 of them, you get a monster crowd to watch that. And a huge TV audience watching it. If that was a Thursday night game, it is school holidays in Melbourne, though. So I think they're figuring that um, a lot of people will go over for the game, and they'll, they'll get a pretty healthy crowd just of people who uh, who who will come from Melbourne for it anyway. So um, that's what they're thinking. I mean, I, I know we talked double headers. They were very worried last year that the ground, the ground, even though the weather was pretty good there, the, uh, there was a lot of rain on the Saturday night. The Sunday was beautiful, but they were. By the time of the last game, I think Collingwood and Kilda was the last game this year on the Sunday evening. The ground was starting to break up a bit. They had to move. They had to play one less game. So that's why the Sunday game isn't a double header. But I think, you know, look, I was there last year. It's, I don't think I'll be there this year unless I make a snap decision to drive over for Hawthorne Collingwood, which can't be ruled out. But uh, it was an absolutely cracking weekend last year. If you get the chance to go to gather around, uh, I highly recommend it. It's just a great great um great great thing to do and if you get something norwood oval as well um it was, it was absolute joy it was like going footy again in the 70s and 80s it was a wonderful thing do i have a quick question before we finish up dom uh, patrick patrick oh patrick oh, patrick sorry how are you? i was just gonna say is it an afl conspiracy that we requested to play at norwood and then ended up getting collingwood at uh adelaide oval instead Everything's an AFL conspiracy, and uh, we wait to see what happens tomorrow with the rest of the fixture. As we said, there's 14 Thursday night games to be filled. We know that two of those are already filled up, or even three of those are already filled up. 
Um, there's a game in the middle of the year, I think, in uh, Darwin. So it's 11 Thursday night games still to be filled. And if my maths is correct, there'll be 23 Friday night games to fill. They'll only announce the fixture up to round 15. It'd be fascinating to see how, whether Hawthorne gets one primetime game. You would have thought the Collingwood game was the lead candidate for Hawthorne to be a primetime game. Uh, on a Channel 7, on a Hawthorne of Lobby Channel 7. Uh, to get some prime time, Game Sam Mitchell went, and uh, I think someone from the club might have had a coffee with Seven in the last week or so to plead the case for some uh, exposure. But we wait and see. I'm uh, my thinking is that uh, every every year there's a couple of clubs that the AFL fall in love with and back to have good years and be good TV attraction. Um, my prediction of those two teams this year will be Essendon and Adelaide. They're the ones who'll get the love from the AFL. So. Not only our great hopes of the fixture, um, we know it'll be round one Essendon, round three will be Geelong. Should be Hawthorne's home game this year. I know, Patrick, you asked a question. Is there a chance Hawthorne could play at Geelong this year? Probably can't be ruled out as the second game, as long as uh, it'll be the first game will be a Hawthorne home game. Um, they're taking turns now. Um, Easter Monday, can't rule out Hawthorne having to make the trip to Geelong later in the year. That I would say would be, if they've got to play nine games there, and given that Geelong finished, what did Geelong finish, 12th or 13th? It means there's a reasonable chance Hawthorne and Geelong will be drawn to play twice. Um, I would say there's an even money chance Hawthorne will be making the trip to Geelong for the second game. But I don't think that really is a big deal. If, if the first, as long as the first game is the MCG and it's Hawthorne's home game, it shouldn't be too fussy if the second game is down at Geelong. That comes out tomorrow. I'll do a deep dive on the fixture from uh, all the different angles, as I like to do. That'll be on the sub stack sometime on the weekend. Uh, Danny, do you want to go through the questions? Yeah, uh, before I do that, I'd love to get uh, Sean Penan and the Soaring Boys to just request to speak. I just want to run through the priority um, uh, the priority picks for the Hawks um, AFLW team. Um, that happened, I think, was it yesterday or today? It was yesterday. Uh, and um, there's some pretty exciting stuff there from an AFLW perspective. So uh, I'm assuming it's Liam. Is that are you there? Uh, yeah, it is, Danny. Fantastic. Now, you have been on the Laura Stone uh, bandwagon for quite some time. Uh, tell us tell us a little bit, just briefly, what we're getting with her. Okay, so yes, you've obviously seen the video on our social media from that my brother put together. Um so essentially, Laura Stone, in terms of the way she plays, she's like a taller version of Charlotte Bascarin or Jazz Fleming stylistically. She needs to work on her kicking, but she's a 170 centimetre midfielder who recorded the second fastest 20 metre sprint ever recorded at an AFLW draft combine. Uh, she can also roll into defence, and she was the Coats League Team of the Year captain and an All-Australian halfback from the Under-18 Championships and the Vic Metro MVP despite only playing two out of three games. So, Liam, that's a fair, uh, like, you know, sheet or rap sheet. Um, where would Laura have gone in, in an open draft if she was, you know, uh, if she put herself, made herself available for that? Uh, in a fully national draft, assuming no one nominated state base, uh, Rookie Me Central had her as fourth and she would have been a top five pick. So she would have been touch and go to make it to the Hawthorne pick, and with Lauren Young going to Port Adelaide, who is the best prospect in this draft by so far, it's not funny. She'll make the All-Australian squad next year, in my opinion. Um, she would not wow. have made our pick. Lauren Young, by the way, won a, won a Sandful League best and fairest at 15, just for reference. Sandful W. Ooh. 
Liam, talking about players coming to the club, Hayley McLaughlin, uh, one of the recruits that came out, she is meeting every single Hawthorne requirement as a lifelong Hawthorne supporter. Uh, yes, I think Jess Bukic was as well, actually, if um, Rookie Me Central are accurate, which uh, they usually are. Uh, so, yeah, McLaughlin and her junior club, Blackburn, which I have personal feelings of not liking that much for community club reasons, um, actually sing their song to the same tune as the Hawthorne song. So she's very going to be very familiar with what to sing at the end of games when we win. Uh, she is a classy winger who uses the ball really well and is a great decision maker. She's a bit smaller. She's 164 centimetres. But she is very much a specialist winger and was, again, among Vic Metro's best players. Vic Metro weren't that great at the championships. I think they beat Vic Country, they beat the Allies, and they got spanked by South Australia, who had about half the All-Australian team. But McLaughlin was among Metro's best players, a winger who works really well up and down the ground, very much an outside player at this point, and basically a younger and shorter version of Caitlin Ashmore, if you want to put a stylistic comparison. You can never have too many wingers, I reckon, uh, Liam. Um, Jess Vukic, uh, you spoke about her. Um, she was the, the second of the three uh, priority signings. Um, key position and ruck uh, with Tegan Cunningham and uh, Tam Luke uh, retiring. Um, she comes in behind Lucy Wales and fills a nice void there. Uh, yeah, she's very similar to Tam Luke in that slightly undersized ruck slash second forward. She will have to be at the W level B, a second forward, only 179, 180. She's probably not quite tall enough to play her style of ruck role at the highest level. And I know there was an ACL injury to the other Rangers ruck this year, but she was proposed to spend a lot more time forward this year. And she did start forward in a lot of the the academy game as well against the under-23 All-Stars. So it's clear that developing her as a forward is a priority. And based on reading the club's profile of her, she is going to start primarily as a forward. And that will be her role. She's only two years younger than Lucy Wales, two and a half years. So with Lucy being a bit taller and a bit more athletic, versus Vukic's stronger body, very competitive, great competitor, um, she'll be that second ruck who comes in and provides a real marking presence up forward for a majority of the game. Beautiful. Liam, as always, uh, fantastic to speak to you. Your knowledge is second to none on everything Hawthorne AFLW. Um, thanks very much for joining us, mate. Appreciate no problem. It. Just one thing quickly about Stone as well. Play- I think we've lost him. I'm still here. Oh, they on. all played two games for Box Hill VFLW across three weeks. Uh, Laura Stone's first game for Box Hill VFLW got eight coaches' votes and I thought was easily best on ground. And she still hasn't turned 18 yet now, for reference. Danny, sorry to talk over the top, but can I just grab one more out of you, Liam? Jazz Fleming, uh, 22 under 22 squad, and uh, M Bates, who I earlier said was all Australian. She's actually all Australian squad. I misspoke there, and I apologise. But those are two huge things for the development of the program to see some of our players. Jazz, we all know what we're going to get in the future. We all knew how excited we were to see Emily Bates sign with the footy club. How important is that for the development of the Hawthorne program to have our players performing at that level now? Um, I don't think it can be understated. Um, Emily Bates, I don't think, makes the All-Australian team, just having a look at the squad. But having said that, her performances this year have been incredible. And from the players we've spoken to, the leadership and standards that she's driven around training are almost as valuable, if not more valuable, than her performances on the field. And then... With Jazz, whilst our view is that she shouldn't be alone in the 22 under 22 squad are pretty well known, uh, her performances every week, for someone who 
has only just turned 18 after the season. Like, she only she turned 18 during the first week of finals. Um, her ability, or turned 19, I should say, uh, her ability to turn up week after week and just be such a threat going forward out of the midfield is really quite incredible to watch. And I think Emily Bates coming has actually helped Jazz find a clearer role as well. Her contested possession rate dropped a lot this year and her ball use improved, and I don't think that's a coincidence. Yeah, she's a, she's a beautiful kick of the footy. She could teach a few of the, the uh, AFL men players how to kick a footy properly, to be honest. But uh, yeah, thank you so much, Liam. We'll, we'll wrap it up there. We've got to wrap up the space uh, altogether. If Darren was in here, he would be complaining com- all over our WhatsApp group. But uh, Ash, I'll throw it back to you to finish up. So um, that's it from us for tonight. A couple of bits of housekeeping. So look out for uh, Daddy's Draft Preview, my fixture analysis on the Substack, we thank you all for your support as always. $5 a month, $50 a year for great Hawthorne content. Sorry, some questions there. We're just we going to have to wrap up. Our draft night plans are as follows. Jump on with us more or less after the first round finishes. I will be in the room and will endeavour to get a guest or so onto the space or so. Uh, we're the place to be as it all wraps up for the complete analysis uh, from Danny and others. And for me in the room, or as close as I get to the room, I don't know if I'll let the media in the draft room anymore, but uh, I'll do my best to get in there. But uh, we'll hopefully have some words from Mark McKenzie on the spaces on Monday. And hopefully Tuesday night will also again be live after the draft is over and Danny's and others' analysis of things as they uh, break as well. It's nearly AGM time. We didn't talk about that tonight. We've got some other bits and pieces to address around the footy club. And as training gets underway, we will uh, continues. We'll analyse how the Hawks look. So it's a bit to look forward to before the end of the year. It's been a great space tonight. We thank you all for taking part and for listening and for your, your interest and your feedback and your comments. Uh, this is the busiest time of the off-season these uh, next uh, couple of weeks. And we at Hawks Insiders will have every angle covered. Thank you, Danny, for running the show so beautifully tonight. Ash, always a pleasure. It's um, it's always hard. They're very big shoes to fill, yours, but um, yeah, we'll give it our best crack. But it's uh, very exciting. I mentioned at the top of the show you weren't here. It's like uh, the night before Christmas for a lot of Hawthorne fans, so really excited to get a couple of draft pieces out um, for people to read very quickly. I should have one tomorrow afternoon, I'm hoping, if all things go to plan. Let's hope this is the last time we have to get really excited about the draft for a while. Um, thank you, uh, Weesey, as always. Thank you, AJ. Thank you, Mick, for your great contributions tonight as well. Um, Enjoy the rest of the week. We all look forward to the draft and we'll look forward to talking to you again on Monday night as we review night one of the draft. That's it. Thanks, everybody. We will talk to you again Monday night. Thanks for joining us on Hawks Insiders. Good night. This was another Hawks Insiders production. Make sure to subscribe to our Substack for wall-to-wall Hawthorne Footy Club coverage.